Slashers, a horror movie podcast brought to you by two goons with nothing better to do on whatever afternoon we decided to record this week. My name is Jake, and with me, as always, is my esteemed colleague, co-host, and cohort. I did it, for those of you at home who's missing out on the live-action show, I did it like I was a little cowboy, where I did one finger gun, two finger gun, three finger gun, at Brian, my esteemed co-host. Ah, damn it! (laughs) I'm going to edit all of this out. I just <laughs> fucked it up. I already said the same thing. Brian, just greet everybody. Hey, what's going on, MGBs? And uh, if you're unaware, MGB is the Mutant Goons from Beyond. Or also uh, Mass Group Buff from all of my nerdy days playing EverQuest. Or it's a parody of Great Britain Hardcore or Grievous Bodily Harm or whatever. We are two goons, the best friends of goons with... I want to announce our first sponsor on this show. It's very important that I do so. This week's episode is brought to you by the feeling of dread and anxiety I had all last week after recording Salem's Lot and thinking that people were going to hate it because we were, like, exhausted. And it went. the episode went on forever. And I don't know that we're ever going to be in a scenario where we review a 452-page book and a three-hour movie again. So this week is the exact opposite am i right brian oh absolutely uh yeah after last week it was completely draining and as soon as jake recommended blood diner i looked at i immediately went to the uh recording time or how much how long it took and i was just like yeah 82 minutes or whatever it was yeah that sounds about right 88 minutes 88 minutes sorry i have to fact check you brian (laughs) it's on my notes i'm about to read it but yeah we we had talked about this off the air there's an expression is the juice worth the squeeze and while I'm glad we did Salem's Lot, like I think that that's like our little merit badge as horror hosts to have done Salem's Lot, I didn't get much juice beyond that. Whereas with Blood Diner, it was literally the least effort ever, and it was fucking great. And it was just a torrential geyser of juice in my throat. Did you get the same feeling? Oh, absolutely. Blood Diner was interesting in that no matter what, you can pause it and go get a drink, go to the restroom, whatever, come back to it 20 minutes later and still have the best time of your life, right? Oh, yeah. And honestly, I felt like there were times where I must have missed something. Like maybe I had left the room or my consciousness had astral projected into the kitchen and come back because there were these gaps where I had no idea what was happening. But then I realized that that was the game of the movie where it's like, here's stuff. And I can't wait to watch this movie again. And I think that we both have new house rules. I haven't been to your house since. This is your first time at my house since. But any time we encounter a house guest who has not seen Blood Diner, we drop everything, even if it's Christmas, and we watch Blood Diner, right? Oh, absolutely. It's definitely mandatory. You know, people are going to bring up, oh, you know, let's watch Christmas Story. Let's watch this. No, it's it's Blood Diner. Yeah. It's happening. I'm sorry. <laughs> B-L-O-O-D-D-I-N-E-R. <laughs> I'm so glad I spelled it right because I was really worried I was going to say blood dinner and spell it that way, but I'm pretty competent. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> I know how to type and read. <laughs> so, Brian, shall I get into the st- statistics for this week? Statistics. Let's do it. Boom! 
This movie's opening weekend was July 10th, 1987. It was filmed on a budget of $330,000 over the span of three weeks. We have no guaranteed box office numbers on this. Vestron, the company that produced it, went out of business. So we can do an estimated Blu-ray sales of $108,000, which <laughs> would be terrible. But when you think about the Blu-ray didn't come out till like 30 years after it was right. in theaters, it's kind of icing on the cake in terms of money. So that's fine. Now, the competition this week is probably the most interesting that we've ever had. And I, I want to go through the whole month, if you'll indulge me. Does that sound okay? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, let me just delve back to what you were saying about the budget. Uh, 337000 I feel like compared to a lot of other movies, they did a lot of things with it. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, for sure. The amount of stuff that they did, it's it's bizarre that they had that many sets and that much hair and that much makeup. And it's just weird. And then you compare it to uh, Blood Feast, which this is supposed to be the spiritual successor to. The budget for Blood Feast, and granted this came out in 1963, was $24,500. And then it got a $7 million, or excuse me, $4 million initial release, and then $7 million over the next like 15 years. Which is crazy. And then this movie, very similar to that. Here's, here's no money, do everything. But then, you know, sadly nobody liked the movie, but that's beside the point. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's go back to what was playing during the month. You were saying the month, right? Correct. Of, uh, of a release. So the week before this movie, so it would be July 3rd, 1987, Adventures in Babysitting and Inner Space. <laughs> That's a great weekend just in and of itself. The next, so the week of Revenge of the Nerds 2. The week after Robocop. The week after that, The Lost Boys. Does that blow your fucking mind? Yeah, that's a tough crowd to run with, man. I feel like you're definitely tossed to the side. Yeah, and so here's something that needs to be addressed. I, In my research, I try to stay on topic, but I couldn't do it this week. I went into the weeds. Did you know that La Bamba earned more at the box office than RoboCop? That is absurd. Pisses me off. $54,215,416 compared to $53,424,681. This is bullshit. This needs to be rectified. We need to build a time machine, get about a million bucks, and spend it all on RoboCop tickets. I don't know, man. I feel like the ladies love La Bamba. (laughs) Funny enough, I was flipping through our Instagram, and one of our followers was like, La Bamba! And had like an autographed picture, and I was like, what the fuck? Like... You So often you feel like you're getting these targeted ads, and I was right after I had done this, I'm like, are they giving us targeted content from our followers now? What is that? <laughs> you're like, I've never unfollowed anybody yet, but... Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming close. Sorry, my friend, uh, whose name I don't remember. So if if you're the guy with a La Bamba poster, send us a message, and I will send you a formal apology and some stickers. The movie, like Brian said, 88, or no, Brian didn't say, Brian said 82 minutes. I fucked up the episode. (laughs) It's 88 minutes. The New York Times review of this movie said, this is not a movie. This is celluloid swill. (laughs) 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 I was like, oh, Jesus, tell me how you really feel. In the book, Monstrous Nature, Environment and Horror on the Big Screen by Robin L. Murray and Joseph K. Human. I don't know if that's a pseudonym, but it's H-E-U-M-A-N-N. And if I was trying to hide as a human, uh, you know, being secretly an alien, that's the name I would choose. They said, quote, Despite their glaring genre differences, however, Blood Diner and Jennifer's Body, which is that terrible fucking movie with Megan Fox, 
the weird thumb girl, both reverse representations of Wendigo Wetiko exploring female bodies in the landscape they've said to represent from an eco-feminist perspective. Does that make any butt-fucking sense to you at all? I don't think they watched the same movie I watched. I did not. I, I could not believe it. And like Obviously, I'm, I see Wendigo. I'm like, oh, I have a tattoo of a Wendigo. This is going to ping in my brain. And that's the only word in that sentence that I even know what it means. Yeah, it's strange. I feel like every time I watch a movie that I have particular interest in, you immediately go into the critic reviews. I just squirm when I read them. Oh, I'm yeah. like, I what? No, come on. Like It just doesn't make any sense. And I feel like a lot of these movies get kind of shunned and pushed to the side just based off the critic reviews, which is really unfair. Oh, yeah. And especially a movie like this, you know, Joe Bob Briggs, when he did the Blood Feast review on Shudder, he was talking about like he kind of resented the New York Times because they did this great retrospective of Herschel Gordon Lewis, the guy who directed Blood Feast, and was saying like even bad publicity would have helped. And so some of them you can see where if it's a truly bad review, how it helps. But then you have some where it's just like your head is so far up your ass. You think that you're Morrissey reviewing music back in the 80s. And it's like, no sweetheart it's been done by better nobody gives a fuck about you and your thesaurus yeah exactly you know back to where we were going with i feel like between uh robocop and what was the vampire one that came out lost, lost boys, boys right uh you know it makes sense that they only made one hundred fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> oh that was just in, in blu-ray we don't even know oh yeah true <laughs> we're completely speculating i honestly don't know and if you do have the stats you should have responded to my i i'm actually messaged people Trying to get like, hey, if you have any fan questions or trivia, and people were like, yeah, sure, dog. I was like, we're recording tomorrow. <laughs> All right, super duper. And here I am reading my own stuff that I found. Um, in an interview in the book The Bad Mirror by Jack Hunter, uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis took no credit for this movie and blamed it on Jim Maslin, who was his partner from doing Blood Feast, which I was like, man, if you're a guy who's a schlockmeister, like HGL was, and literally you only made movies for money and you won't take credit for this movie, that's saying something about your perception of the film. Yeah, but unfortunately I feel like he kind of, he went away that I wouldn't do. I Basically, you're not taking blame. I, I shouldn't say blame, but you're not taking credit for something, even though it's bad, but I feel like you'll get like a cult following eventually. I don't know. Maybe it's just the times and that when it came out and he was like, well, nobody's going to pay attention to this shit. It's just going to be thrown out, whatever. And uh, we'll just leave it at that. But regardless of uh, whatever you create, you should always be proud of it. Yeah. And I think that you could definitely see this movie is as if you were doing a remake of Blood Feast and then you added Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure to it. It's just like, wait, I'm sorry. What? You just took two idiots and threw them into the same exact movie, and it's awesome. Uh, One last bit of book report, because I did a bunch of research on this. In The Gorehound's Guide to Splatter Films of the 1980s by Scott Aaron Stein, he says, quote, Although slicker than most gormities of the time, it's the same old tired jokes that'll make any veteran splatterpunk wince in embarrassment. They can't all be a bad taste or reanimator, but it would be nice if they tried a little harder to that i say mr stein get fucked because i loved this movie and everybody's entitled to their perception i think they tried plenty hard in this 
as evidenced by everything, from the costumes to the overacting, everybody was just cranked up to 11 and on coke, right? Oh, absolutely. I feel like that guy can suck it because I feel like within the first 10 minutes, I was laughing my ass off so hard that Michelle literally had to come in and be like, are you watching a horror film? Yeah. And like, so the, the voiceover at the very beginning on the radio, that got me. And I, from there on, I was like, okay, this is great. The movie's directed by Jackie Kong, who said in an interview in 2018, I really defy the audience to guess what will happen next. Yup. Yes, you do. I had seen Blood Feast, and then I was like, where's this movie going? Oh, the exact same place, but the entire opposite direction. It's as if you have two paths that end at the same place, but one of them does a figure eight and like, you know, like when you take a little kid and they just scribble. That's the road, and then it still somehow ends at the same spot, and that's the difference between Blood Feast and Blood Diner. Blood Feast is just a linear road that's 62 minutes of just, okay, we're doing this, and Blood Diner just goes off into the weeds, and you're like, what the fuck? Is this still a movie, or is this a hate crime? I don't know what's happening. (laughs) Yeah, I loved every minute of it. Oh, so great. She also said that she, quote, outdid the boys with Blood Diner, but instead of giving me opportunities in the industry, people thought I was a guy. Nobody knew what to think of me. The film played worldwide, dubbed in five languages, yet it would be a shock when distributors would meet me. Isn't that sad? That you have this movie that obviously at the time, of any movie we've done, inarguably this is the most ahead of its time. And I think that this is evidence is it like, very well. Not only is it weird because you have the very progressive female director, but also like this is a memeable movie in so many ways. Oh yeah, basically the memes would write themselves. <laughs> I'm surprised we don't see any gifts like more often relating to Blood Diner. And you know it's weird because you had suggested Blood Diner to me, and I was like, what? I've never heard of it. Yeah, I wonder if it had a better name, like a more hooky name. It would be something, but like. Honestly, even if it was Blood Buffet, which they refer to multiple times in the movie, I think that would have even had a more success. Because really, when you hear Blood Diner, I was thinking like, oh, there's going to be a lady named Flo, and she's going to be like, can I get you some coffee? And that's going to be the movie. It doesn't anywhere near what you actually get. Right. I feel like maybe it would have uh, been a little better, maybe something like Summoning of Sheetar or something like that. Oh, that's interesting. Oh no, the Sons of Sheetar. That's what they call their <laughs> band. That would be great. I would yeah. I would definitely see that flick. Probably not, now that I say it out loud. <laughs> but I would definitely wear a shirt with a logo from that. So Jackie Kong, this is uh, her second to last feature. She So she did Blood Diner and the Underachievers for Vestron, but then they went out of business. So she was on a three-movie deal, and then she just didn't have a contract anymore. And I don't know if she was just like, oh, well, I'm a good business person. I'm just never going to direct again or what happened. But I think she has a good point. Like, she, It doesn't sound like she was given very many offers or whatnot. So she didn't do anything after this? She did a lot of like humanitarian work and other things that were interesting. She actually was the executive director of a nonprofit organization, which was the uh, Asian American Media Development from 1995 to 2001. And she did that. She was awarded with the Inspiration Award from the Etheria Film Night for female filmmakers. And here's the most interesting fucking thing I could find about this lady. Go on. When she was 18, she received her first ever 16 millimeter film camera by Jorel, Marlon, but fucking Brando himself, because he saw her movies and was like, "Get it, girl." Even though he apparently also told her, "Don't go into this industry, girl." 
<laughs> so weird. That's some strange advice right there. Right? Yeah. It's like, here, I'm going to further your interest and ability to do this and then also tell you, nah. So that's really interesting. She goes to make a movie like Blood Diner where it's just so off the walls, bananas, gore, violence, crazy, zany antics, whatever. And then she's like, okay, well, you know what? I'm over this, whatever. And then she goes into humanitarian work. It just seems like a strange kind of jumping point. Okay, and now she does tours of this movie where she goes around and so, like shows it to people in those Q's and A's and people love her. Like she is this icon now. And it's like, you've had 30 years. Let's get a fucking Blood Diner 2 going. You see so many of these people who like try to reclaim that glorious special. Like, like a Tommy Wiseau who's doing Big Shark now. And then you have this gal who's like, I actually want to see you make more stuff. Take my money. Make more stuff. And she's not doing it. Right. I don't know. That's cool that she has a little bit of a resurgence, though. So uh, I, mean, I did talk to somebody who I don't know to what extent I'm allowed to talk about it from our conversation. But there are talks about getting her in the director's seat again moving forward. But I don't know to any extent there's a script being circulated or anything like that. But she's trying to, which is awesome. And that's the beautiful thing about uh, movies, especially with the horror genre, is there's going to be a cult following with a lot of things. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's a you know a smash hit in the box office. And that's one thing with horror that we've talked about in the past, too. You can fail at horror, and we will give you more credit. Like, we are very ingratiating and forgiving audience by and large where we'll see homage and we'll be like that's awesome i know what you're talking about versus in action movies when you see that you're like that's a ripoff and if you fail in horror you can always land on comedy but if you fail in something like action it's just like blue balls you know you're expecting this big explosion and you get a sparkler and you're like eh. oh. <laughs> you feel like you can get a hernia of all the backed up semen versus in horror when it's like oh something ridiculous happens like you got Ramses ripping out somebody's tongue in the original Blood Feast, and it's fucking terrible, and it's clearly a sheep's tongue, and it's so bad that you're laughing, it works out. Horror works. Yeah, it definitely works, with, like you said, when it comes to like a comedy thing, where it's like an unintended comedic relief, right? Exactly. And uh, the film's edited by Thomas Michelski, who did Puppet Master and Terror Vision. The effects included Larry Arpin, who did Maniac Cop, Maniac Cap 2, Maniac Cop 3. You had Lorena Drucker from Friday the 13th Part 7 and The Blob. The film was written by, this is awesome, Michael Saunier, who wrote two other movies of note, but then played Mengele in Surf Nazis Must Die and the imp from Sorority Babes at the Slimeball Bolarama. What a, like, just that guy. Like, I don't, this movie is so rich with things you can Google and just go down the rabbit hole. Uh, I love it. I love everything about that sentence. Why aren't we watching Surf Nazis of something, something again? Oh, like, yeah. next, right? I feel like those movies should be watched immediately. I'd be happy to do it. And if it wasn't for the fact that Joe Bob had just done Sorority Babes at this Lineball Bolorama, I would recommend doing that one too. But I want to stay away from, you know, the demigod of horror hosting because we can't compete. <laughs> uh, you know, but we're great. We're also great in our own way, is what I'm saying. I'm confident as a person. I'm very self-confident. Let's move on, Brian. Great save, Jake. I like it. <laughs> I am so confident. Did I say that? Um, Brian, can you give us the recapitation of this film? Absolutely. So I'm just going to make it quick and to the point, guys. Quick recap. 
So you have two goons, basically, who have an uncle who goes on a killing spree trying to summon She-Tar. I want to say Shiva, but it's She-Tar. Yeah. Shiva is a detective. And they go on this crazy killing spree to collect different human parts and summon the demigod She-Tar. Boom. Doesn't get any easier than that. Let's go into nicknames. Probably my favorite segment of this show. A, because I still have energy left over, and B, because I effectively just get to make references and talk shit, and nobody's there to defend themselves. None of these actors are like, hey, fuck you, man. Absolutely. We start with Michael Tutman, uh, played by Rick Burns, who was, the only other thing I saw of note on his IMDb was he returned in that movie that Jackie Kong did, The Underachievers, as Thug One, <laughs> and he was in a David Bowie video. Oh, no. That's his career. Yeah, that's that's a quick uh, quick fall, right? Fall from grace. Oh yeah. So I had thought about calling him Balky from Perfect Strangers because of his haircut, but then I noticed that the entire movie it looks like his nostrils are flared. <laughs> so I know this is a long one, but I I'm just gonna run it by you. Okay. I, how about we call him? Uh, it smells like someone stepped in a little bit of sheetar. <laughs> I don't know how well that's gonna flow into conversation. <laughs> I couldn't help but notice with uh, Mikey, Michael, whatever you want to call him, that he had like an earring, just one single gold earring in okay. one of his ears. Did you so recall? So we're calling him Radar Love? You, we can totally call him Radar Love if you want. Or the I Twilight mean, Zone. Yeah. You know, when he was a kid, it looked like he was like a little mini AC Slater. He had like a <laughs> sweet Jerry Curl going on. Wee. Wee. <laughs> uh, I love it. I've already told you the one I have for George, his brother, and there is no negotiation. This oh, man. is the okay. name. Go on. Because he wrestles in the movie, and it's a horror movie, and he's terrible. He is the Blundertaker. I like it. That's really good. I mean, it's a lot more creative than what I had, because uh, obviously when you watch the film, he has no sideburns. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am going to defend mine. Uh, not that yours is bad. Mine is just way better. Yep, absolutely. No offense. Blundertaker. That's um, definitely uh, what it's going to be. His career was interesting. He played Jeffrey Dahmer in The Secret Life of Jeffrey Dahmer. And he also returned for The Underachievers as Thug 2. How interesting is that? Fun fact, young George, or shall I say the young Blundertaker, uh, was played by a kid named Sir Lamont Roadheaver. His name was Sir. That is not a title. He was not a knighted child. He just was called Sir. How awesome is that? Sir Lamont Roadheaver? Yep. <laughs> it's like his parents were like, we know you're not going to achieve anything in your life, so we're just going to give you a head start. How can parents be so cruel? <laughs> right? That's like naming your kid Doctor. <laughs> oh, that's awful. So we're moving on. Uncle Anwar Namtut. We had talked about this. The majority of this film he spends as a head in a jar, rather a brain in a jar. And I think that you have to call him Evil Concarne from the TV show, which was made by the creator of Billy and Mandy. Fair? Yes, absolutely. Interesting. The last thing he did was in 1994 when he directed a movie called L.A. AIDS Jabber. I was fucking shocked. That's a thing? Yes. Uh, we are not covering that. I was aghast. The guy's name was Drew Gaderis. Wow. I feel like a lot of coke was involved in the creation of that film. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, no, thank you. Moving on, we had Detective Mark Shepard. This guy was Roger Dower. He only acted once after this in the 1991 movie, My Lovely Monster. And he was the integral character of, quote, 
party guest. <laughs> I like it. You know what? I uh, I couldn't help but notice the god awful gold chains that he was wearing oh, throughout the film. I have one that's a little bit more legal studies, but I think I'm going to go with yours. I was originally going to call him Stop and Frisk because he's like <laughs> always being really pervy, but I think we could call him Mr. T with all the gold chains. Mr. T, I like it. Yeah. We then go to uh, Sheetar herself, played by Tanya Papa Nicholas, who last acted in the movie. Run if you can in 1988. I mean, these people's careers fucking <laughs> through the roof. I want to call her, and I think we can all know why, Vagina Dentata. Because of her tummy at the end of the movie. Is that fair? Yep, absolutely. Perfect. <laughs> Sheba Jackson, who uh, is the other detective, who you have Mr. T is always trying to fondle with his eyes and body. And the tongue, man. That was so creepy. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, she only ever acted in this one movie, La- Lanetta LaFrance. So I think we should just call her one and done. Yep. <laughs> uh, then we go. The only reason I even wrote this one down, it's the ventriloquist cook, the guy Stan Stadlin. I want to call him Morty Ingalls, which is not that funny. But if you know your tales from the crypt, it's the weird monster creature in the episode with the <laughs> ventriloquist. But I think we could just agree to call him Jeff Dunham. Is that Jeff fair? Dunham? Absolutely. Yeah. And that was played by Bob Loya. And this was his only film. That's our cast of characters. Let's get into this just menagerie of shit fucks. Going to the sleigh by play, right? Yep. The movie opens with the disclaimer. How awesome. Did you like the disclaimer? Or did you think it was hokey as fuck? Oh, it was super hokey as fuck, but I also loved it. Yeah. So it worked. I loved it. So it was like, you know how there's, you, you hear the expression like, oh, I looked at it through this lens or this prism. I looked at it as like, if you were going to have children come out and do a presentation and they're like, this is going to be so cool. You're <laughs> going to be, you're going to just poop your pants. Right, I felt like right. it was this juvenile little attempt to be like, this movie is so legit as fuck. And then it turned out to be legit as fuck, but in the exact opposite direction. Oh yeah, absolutely. You just imagine like two kids with their own imaginations running wild, trying to describe like a horror film. Yes, totally <laughs> fair. So we open on a scene with two little boys, and their mom's like, I'm going to just abandon my children to go buy tampons. <laughs> I was like, oh, you can't take them to the tampon store? Yeah, and then I was also thinking, where is the father? Uh, yeah. What What's going on? I don't know. <laughs> I think that these are both clearly supposed to be Christ figures, Brian. Like, oh, obviously. There, we, there we go. It makes perfect sense. You have Jesus H. Christ, and he just J. Christ. <laughs> Then we get my favorite part. They get the radio warning where they're like, uh, there's a man with a meat cleaver in one hand and his genitals in the other. And I was like, sold. Yep. Here's a blank check. I'll buy this movie <laughs> on Blu-ray. I'll buy it on Betamax. I don't give a fuck. This is my movie now. Yeah, I feel like at this point is when Michelle walks away from this movie. She like literally gets up and walks out of the room. She's like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. So then from that, they hypnotize a dog. And then you find out that the man with his genitals or whatever is Uncle Anwar who rips down the door to get in there. And it's like the poltergeist. There's this like light and smoke, and he's ripping the door open. And I was like, holy shit, these kids are going to get abducted by an alien. Nope, it's a guy in who looks exactly like Ramses from Blood Feast. Oh, that's fun. So weird. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because the kids, I would imagine, would be like crying and running for their lives. And they just have their arms open. They're like, Uncle Anwar. <laughs> Which is a nice reversal of expectations. Still weird. He then gives them necklaces that he says very specifically multiple times are five million years old. And I was like, um, no, they're not. 
Not to sound like that guy, Ken Ham, the creationist who thinks the world is 6,000 years old, but those are not 5 million years old. And I wonder if, again, so this, this goes to my theory of Blood Feast. This is the movie Blood Feast, but they took everything and cranked it up to 11 because in Blood Feast, they talk about everything is 5,000 years old. And so it's like Jackie Kong, like, scratched her crotch and was like, fuck you, pussies. We're going to up it by uh, the nth degree. and It's five million years old. Fuck you. A triceratop forged those necklaces in a furnace that was a volcanic eruption. Yeah, agreed. It, it doesn't make any sense, but it totally works. So five million years it is. <laughs> awesome. So he then goes off and gets shot in the street. The kids watch through the window and have... No reaction at all. Yeah, it's as if nothing happens, but at the same time, seeing what they grow up to be, it totally makes sense. Yeah. And so one of the boys looks at, I assume it's Mikey, looks at a Felix the Cat clock, and he starts to spin the time. And let me just say this. He went from catatonic to (laughs) catatelekinetic. That was a little rough. Yeah. Yeah. What drives me crazy, he never uses that power again. He uses hypnotism. But he does not use telekinesis. So I got something different from that. Oh, When I see the little kitty cat like spin really fast and all of a sudden it stops moving like with the tail. What I got from that is it's like we're going to fast forward time to 20 years later. That's cute. I like that. That's way better. (laughs) Because I was thinking I thought that you were going to say he was using telepathy. And made the cat sentient and then changed time. I was like, that doesn't, that's not good. But yours is way better. So I like that. (laughs) All right. So if we can turn forward time (laughs) to 20 years later, we're in a graveyard. What happens then, Brian? Uh, So with the graveyard, they are uh, excavating, I guess you could call it, uh, grave robbing. Not really grave robbing because it's their uncle. Technically grave robbing because he belongs to the grave. Yeah. Yeah. So they're trying to, you know, dig up uh, Anwar. Did you notice uh, what his headstone says? No, I didn't see what it say. I'll be back. Did it really? Swear to God. Oh, my God. See, and that's what's so beautiful about this movie. There's there's so much subtle things in there that you have no idea what's going on, and you have to pay attention. I was literally pausing the movie every two minutes to write something down. I'm like, I can't. I can't. I have to stop and write this down. Yeah, I think it's either like a security guard, right, for the... Yeah, I just put groundskeeper in Grounds, my Groundskeeper, security guard, yeah. He's like, hey, what are you two kids up to? <laughs> he just gets smacked in the head with a shovel, and apparently from getting hit in the head with a shovel, your eyeballs pop out. And then they say the best lack of action line, bullseye. <laughs> but, like, the, the eyeballs don't hit anything. If they would have hit, like, anything or landed in something very specific, you can say bullseye, but when it's just eyes falling out, I was like, you just said something with the word I, right? Right, absolutely. And it's funny because they're like two perfectly shaped like marbles. Yeah. And you're like, oh yeah, those are totally eyeballs. Whereas like the like detached retina, the red gooey shit that I'm assuming is attached to eyeballs. I don't know. Yeah, sure. I'm not really a doctor when it comes to this shit, but I think that's what happens, right? The chewy stuff, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, what happens next? So then we have Uncle Anwar, his corpse, shoots his arm up and you're like, what? since when do corpses do that but okay and then mikey says see he's happy to see us and it just stays dead doesn't move and then they they saw out his brain i don't know i mean i'm somewhat familiar with the concept of physics they're sawing downward with a saw and yet somehow the brain shoots up and out they put it in a jar and then what do they do um I don't really recall what happens after this. (laughs) They do like some bullshit incantation and suddenly he's alive. And he starts talking to them again. That's right. That's right. I I think 
from what I gather, when they were sawing at the skull, right? Because it's a, clearly like a skull, right? Oh, yeah. It's, okay. And the, the, I immediately thought to myself, if they're sawing through a skull, more than likely there's not really going to be any brain tissue in there, yeah. right? It's going to be gone. There's going to be nothing in there because everything is going to be... I don't know what happens to skin. It eventually just kind of like melts, melts away, yeah. right? So that you would think that would happen with the brain. But, you know, this is me clearly overlooking something like this movie. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, blah, blah, blah. He put a magic spell on himself, blah, blah, explained. We move on. We get to the very weird scene at the police station. The voiceover in this scene is so fucking bad, I started to think this movie was Italian and that they had just dubbed it over in English. I was really closely watching their mouths and I'm like, nope. That's what they're saying. They just did it wrong. And I don't know if I'm the butt of the joke. Like, I honestly wonder if Jackie Kong was sitting there in the editing room and she was like, turn everything askew by (laughs) 0.1 seconds. And the guy sitting there is like, do you have any idea how much work it is to rip the audio from this film and just put, and she's, I said, put it 0.1 second. Uh, it was really weird. It, it's definitely a head scratcher because I remember looking at the same thing and thinking to myself like, eh, I probably ripped it off of a shitty stream online, right. <laughs> so it's my bad. But yeah, I guess that was with both of us. That's how it actually happened. Yeah. And we then cut to Shepard, who is stop and frisk for Mr. T, whichever we're calling him these days. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that his fucking plaid pants Dude. gave me a seizure? There's 20 different plaids. I specifically made note, what is up with his pants? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you know, those weird wallpaper from like the super psychedelic 70s houses. I feel like it's like they just took something from the wallpaper and just immediately threw it on his pants. Exactly. That that works. They had some left over. They wrapped his legs in it. We're like, (laughs) the costume department was actually like the carpenter who was supposed to do the set dressing, but didn't have time to do both. So then we find out that the Tutman brothers must resurrect the goddess, quote, from body parts of many girls, and that they must make a, quote, blood buffet, end quote, and find a virgin, whatever that is. We cut and we're in the diner. It's a very, this whole scene is so weird that I'm going to have to describe it in excruciating detail. Please do. Cut me off if you need me to repeat (laughs) anything. Because I, okay, so I put all of my notes in a Google document and my greatest fear in life was that somebody was going to hack my Google account and just find this list of weird shit and think I had had schizophrenia (laughs) where they're like, this doesn't mean anything. This note, George slash Blundertaker tweaks vegetable girls cherry nipples in kitchen while checking on uncle. That sentence should not exist. (laughs) That is a bad note, but it, it does happen in the movie. You find out that the diner is a veggie, vegetarian diner, and that's where you get to have the comparison. This is Blood Feast mixed with Troll 2, which is about <laughs> vegetarian goblins. So then there's a customer who looks like he's never even seen a vitamin, whose name is vitamin, <laughs> vitamin C. Vitamin C, that's right, right? His name is, he's, I think he said, my name's Horatio, but you can call me vitamin C. Yeah. And then he said, see, <laughs> like it's some sort of joke that everybody's right? supposed to get. And I'm sitting there like, see what? <laughs> his name, the actor's name was Michael Barton. Guess what else he did in his film career? What was that? But fucking nothing. His career <laughs> died on this vine with this film. So he tries to turn the pro wrestling down that the Blundertaker is watching and gets slapped in the face. <laughs> that was so good. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> that was so good. I immediately was just like, 
yes, I would definitely eat at this diner, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you turn off wrestling, you're going to get slapped in the face. The, it says it clearly over, you know, no admittance without a t-shirt on or something. Yeah, no shirt, no shoes, no pro wrestling sign, no service. <laughs> it's like Dick's Last Resort where they make fun of you, except they literally accost you. <laughs> so there we go, there's a table and there's these girls who are like, you're such a prissy bitch, Connie, just show us your tits. And then the one's getting a parking ticket and leaves. And they leave her to, like, pay the tab. And so she talks to Michael, who hypnotizes her, like, I guess he did the cat. I don't understand. Yeah, you know what? That totally makes sense. The yeah. only reason I think it's in this movie is because Ramsey's in Blood Feast hypnotizes, oh, God, Miss Fremont, who's the okay. main character's mom. That's the only thing I could really think of why there's so, hypnotism. So this is me maybe looking into it a little bit much, but I feel like there was some sort of transfer in power when he gives her the necklace. And again, I'm kind of going way ahead of the story, but he gives her a necklace and then he's able to say like, hey, we're going somewhere. And she's like, yeah, let's go somewhere. But then he he's the one wearing the necklace early on in the, in the movie and he kind of does the same thing and hypnotizes. So it almost seems like it contradicts itself. I honestly don't know. I think that you could make the implication that because Anwar gives the kids the necklaces, he's able to hypnotize them and get them to be obsessed with resurrecting him 20 years later. He then gives it to her. So there there might be, that might be the conduit because I don't think to my knowledge that, you know, stinky poop balky boy uh, ever (laughs) hypnotizes anybody else in the movie. So maybe there's a link to the necklace. Who knows? But let's move on because we got shit to talk about. Okay. My favorite scene of the movie you got titties, you got aerobics, you got jazzercise, somebody's on cocaine, everybody's on cocaine, and then Patrick Swayze from Point Blank comes in and kills everyone. Yeah, that was amazing, right? I feel like, of course it has to be Reagan, of course. It's like, I feel like he should have yelled Reaganomics as he was blasting everybody. (laughs) Which is, tear down this wall! With an Uzi, kills them all, and the Toplick's aerobics is called Nude Aerobicizing Cheerleaders. And then they start to cut up all of the dead bo- body parts, which is great. Again, this is the movie turned up to 11 because you had Ramsey in the original one, kills one lady at a time and gets one body part at the time. They're like, no, fuck that. That's for pussies. We kill all the women. We take all the body parts. We cut off the lady's butt cheek with the power <laughs> knife. That's what I was looking dude. at. I was like, dude, is he hacking at her butt cheek? This is intense right now. Super great. <laughs> okay, let me ask you a question. Can you see one of those power knives without thinking of the movie uh, Maximum Overdrive? Nope. It's the quintess. I, uh, there are certain things that just get ruined, and that I'll never own one because I know that one day it's going to come to life. It's going to try and chop my wiener off, and I've already <laughs> been circumcised, and I can't lose any more wiener length. Right, exactly. That totally makes sense, wiener length. I like that. Um, sp- speaking of wiener <laughs> length. <laughs> speaking of wiener length, um, I feel like we glossed... Bitchin' segue, man. Yes, absolutely. I feel like we glossed over the shopping list. Did you happen to notice the shopping list that Mike Mike pulled out and he was crossing things off the list of what he needed to summon Anwar? No, I didn't. Okay, Please so <laughs> I had to rewind it and I had to pause it, right? And on the shopping list that is next to the cash register... It says six dog dicks. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> six six dog dicks. Three large rats. Multiple golden retrievers. Cats of any gender. <laughs> MSG and dog food. Okay, I do remember seeing MSG on a list. That's amazing. <laughs> 
so this is what's so great about this film is you literally have to pause every two seconds to be able to appreciate everything that's happening. Yeah, and everybody on the cast and crew must have had schizophrenia, <laughs> and everybody was working independently of one another, and nobody like made reference to anybody else's insanity. So then we have a cop handling a corpse without gloves. Did you notice that? Oh, absolutely. Love it. Totally and then we have one cop punching another cop for being irreverent. <laughs> what is this movie? And then they do the classic shtick in the 80s action movie, This is your new partner. And they introduced Sheba Jackson, one and done herself, to Mr. T. And he's like, let me eyeball fuck you. Dude, he that he, he was like using his tongue and like, and, yeah, <laughs> moving yeah. it all around his mouth, all like creepy. No good. Was, Not a good scene. It was scene. super gross. And then he says, okay, this is the best part of that scene. There are so many best parts. People are going to get so fucking annoyed because it's like, Jake, Everything can't be the best part. Yes, it can. (laughs) When nothing makes sense, everything can be the best part. So the chief effectively dismisses Mr. T and one and done. They leave the fucking room and he says, now get moving, both of you. And they're already gone. (laughs) Was that intentional? I don't know. Yeah, it's funny because after watching it, you clearly think to yourself, like, dude, the captain's not relevant. The only <laughs> thing is, is, like, he's Connie's father. Yep. So that makes sense, I guess. But other than that, I could give two shits about you. Yeah, not well acted. <laughs> but that one line makes him worth every penny they paid for him to be on set. So I think next, day it goes back to the diner, right? Yes. And then Blundertaker eats a bullet shell out of some meat. And I was like, you know that's not how bullets work, right? You don't, the shell is not the part that enters the nude aerobicizing lady. Yeah, yeah. Vitamin C comes back, makes his triumphant return, and he, okay, this is crazy. So even after he's been hit by the Blundertaker. Is, is, this, a, is this the part where he gets choked and then throws up everywhere? So he's like, hey, I've seen Over the Top with Sylvester Stallone. Want to arm wrestle? And Blundertaker's like... Rest in peace and chokes him out with the Hell's Gate and he pukes on a lady and someone else. Dude, he pukes multiple times. It's like, I don't know, uh, there's some sort of, no, it's from um, Child's Play. No, not Child's Play. Problem Child. Do you recall Problem Child? Oh, yeah, that movie's Where terrifying. they ate all of the, the meatballs and the, the spaghetti and they threw up everywhere. Do you recall that? That movie's no? fucked. Yeah. No, <laughs> trust me. I, I remember that movie very well. Gilbert Gottfried's The Principal, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It totally reminded me of that because it was just like pink phlegm just oh. like threw up everywhere. And then, okay, so we misspoke earlier because then it cuts to Michael giving Connie the necklace and then it cuts back. And you have Blundertaker giving vitamin C free food. And he says, quote, God damn right on the house. I got to start all over again because he just puked on a waitress and a guest. What is this movie? I don't know, but I feel like I could be really good friends with vitamin C. Oh, for sure. Because like anything bad that happens to him, he's just like, whatever. Let's just keep rolling with it. Keep on trucking. (laughs) And this is this is the thing. You can tell that the 80s were a solitary experience and there were no Starbucks on Rodeo Drive. This was not written by a guy on his laptop being smarmy. This was written by a delusional guy with shit in his pants in a studio (laughs) apartment that he shared with 50 people. That's the only way you get to write down, God damn right it's on the house, I have to start all over again. Right, right. I think next, uh, I think Connie sees the newspaper, right? She just sees the newspaper that says, like, the the nude aerobics class, like, it's myrtleized. Which is another callback to Blood Feast in that they have the thing, you know, effectively, some beautiful young girl missing a leg, blah, blah, because she's been murdered. So I thought that was kind of a cool visual callback. 
uh, without being completely overt, which was nice. Um, and then the forensics team finds tofu in the dead girl's stomachs, and they're like, hey, let's check out all of these health food places. But because it's not the 21st century, they don't have their Venmo history and their debit card, <laughs> so they can't just go back to the last health food place they went before they died. You would be a totally uh, legit detective nowadays with your, uh, okay, check on Venmo, see where they last ate tofu. I would have never thought about that. Really? (laughs) We cut to Shepard, Mr. T, and then the one and done. And he whistles at her as she's walking away. But did you notice she's effectively wearing like a red duster like she's in a goddamn Western? Right, yeah. No figure. (laughs) Or like, what is that? She looks like a goddamn fridge. Is this the point where like the chief literally gets so sick of Mr. T and like beats the shit out of him? I think he lays hands on him. I think he does multiple times. (laughs) Then we have Uncle Anwar doing his foreboding warning to the boys. Like, don't fuck this up, guys. And he says, I let my schlong do my thinking for me. And it effectively says that's how I... (laughs) end up in this goddamn jar i let my schlong do my thinking for me yeah awesome yeah absolutely i mean that right there tells you how amazing this movie is i want to put that on a back patch (laughs) on a denim vest and wear it in public yes definitely Uh, so so then there's as he's giving them this warning they're sewing the pieces of the women together and then it cuts to a montage it's really bad it's kind of gross i don't know i didn't like it at all like and you know we've talked about this in the past where it's like any kind of like abuse of women or like this or that it's kind of like borderline like creepy like i feel like there's some serious things going on here and and it, it serves no purpose it just it seems like it's just like a reminiscent of like Anwar and his like glory days. Yeah. And it was really just kind of disturbing. And it's weird because it, it clearly looks like domestic violence and somebody's not consenting and then there's some S and M in there and it's just it was weird, but luckily it's only like five seconds. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because the entire movie th- throughout has been nothing but like slapstick horror. Yes. And then all of a sudden it jumps to this and you're like, Oh, what? Is this the same movie? Yeah. Not okay. Yeah. And then you have the same guy who we just saw be this torturous evil bastard in a jar. His brain talks to a naked Frankensteinian woman that's supposed to be the (laughs) avatar of a goddess. And he says, quote, what a set of knockers. If I only had my schlong back, you would know the meaning of machismo. (laughs) What? How are you the comic relief in this scene where you were just abusing women? What is happening? Yeah, I don't know. And I feel like at one t- at one point, doesn't he tell Michael to keep his idiot brother out of the gay bars? Yes. <laughs> and then he says, you got that right, homo. What is this? That's like the one pejorative use of the word homo that I, in my adult life, have probably laughed at. And I was like, I feel bad, but not bad enough but to it not works. watch it. But it works. Yes. <laughs> So he tells them that they need the stomachs of, quote, trashy women to, you know, fulfill the blood buffet. And then we get the nightclub scene. The nightclub is so awesome, Oh, right? my God. I mean, they don't even have to get to the nightclub. It's just like the bouncer giving them shit. He throws them on the ground and he gets his head smashed by a car. You're jumping way too fast. You're jumping too fast. <laughs> we have, you know. Oh, the hair. Poopy Balky has Vegeta's <laughs> hair if Vegeta was a rockabilly guy. is shooting straight up. It's it's a cone of <laughs> hair, so and he's wearing a sequined disco suit. It's almost like a one piece. Yeah, and he he hijacks David Bowie's bulge from Labyrinth, <laughs> and then you have the Blundertaker there, also with ridiculous hair, and the Lowrider. No reference to any other time is doing the bouncing thing and crushes the guy's head. The bouncer. Everybody laughs, Everybody and they laughs. just go in. Everybody laughs, and the other bouncer's like, oh, you guys are cool. Go on in. 
<laughs> Nobody calls the cops. And so it's like, why are there even cops in this universe? I feel like I'm watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where I'm like, what the fuck is happening here? There's a different set of rules, and nobody told me. Yeah, definitely. So they get into the bar. And, and then, then the Temptations doo-wop-style song is playing. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. What is ha- like, how does that music go with what I just saw of a head being crushed? But keep going. <laughs> I I don't really recall what happens in the in the bar, so, so I think it's something. To they're do. scoping the girls. They end up finding the trashy ones. Oh, that's right, that's yeah. right. It's like uh, they they're basically kind of pointing out different ones. How about her? How about her? And yeah. then they they're like up, kind of hanging out, and the girls come to them, right? Well, they look at them, and then when they see, they make eye contact. Oh, got the girls it. Come up. I got it. And so they tell them that they're in a band, and that they only work at this diner until their LP. Blood Hunger by the Sons of Sheetar comes out. And I'm like, oh, Blood sons, Hunger. Sons of Sheetar. Yeah, right? Absolutely. I feel like if I was any good at instruments, I would definitely make that a real thing. But unfortunately, my extent of guitar <laughs> ability is very poor. So does this jump then to when they take him back to the restaurant and yeah. he's covering her in batter? <laughs> so they promised them a Lumerian feast and then they end up going back. And this is where we get the bad or no, wait, we cut to the cop with a mannequin. The uh, cop with the mannequin or the chef with the mannequin? It's the chef, right? The chef, it's the chef that's kind of paying attention to where the guys are. Correct. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, this is the thing. The scene is so weird. I thought that the uh, Sheba Jackson, the gal who we call one and done, I thought that she was using the ventriloquist dummy as like a cover and she was doing undercover and oh, she okay. rather than have a partner had a dummy i didn't realize for 20 or 30 seconds that it's the cook whose <laughs> only customer is his ventriloquist dummy which is amazing and so it's a bunch of expository dialogue he then sprays bug spray in the face of the uh, he hits on the cop the cook does the ventriloquism I don't know what to make of this scene. Did you? No, I feel like they needed to skip it. It made no sense. Yeah, like you get that they're kind of doing a dragnet, but this could have easily been effectuated with like her looking at a phone book and being like just putting an X through another restaurant. I'm glad that Jeff Dunham's in the movie. It's fascinating. When he comes back later, it's the best. I think that's definitely going to be my uh, (laughs) slay of the game. Uh, But we'll move on. We then cut to the Lumerian feast. They go to the back. Blundertaker takes his girl back there. In the background, you have Sheetar, which is played by an actress at this point. Unlike Blood Feast, Blood Feast, it's a mannequin that's painted gold. In this, they actually have an actress painted gold in the background. The only problem is they don't give her anything to stand up against, so she's swaying in the background because her legs are tired. <laughs> I didn't even notice that, but oh. I think it's funny that they they bring them to the back and the girls don't even notice that there's just like this this naked chick just like hanging out in the back they're like oh whatever this no is fine. smell nothing <laughs> uh, and so this is where we get battered girlfriend do you want to describe for our friends how you make a battered girlfriend <laughs> basically uh you rub batter all over them seductively until you have a nice steaming thing i of... must look like a mess <laughs> <laughs> right right and then you have a steaming pot full of uh oil mm-hmm. and then you shove their head in it and you say almost... you look good enough to eat <laughs> And her head comes out, and it it's almost, a fucking meatball. Yeah. <laughs> right? I, I, I was going to say, it almost looks like uh, one of those cartoon uh, honey beehives okay, hanging from a tree, right? <laughs> I tried to be like, is it supposed to be a tater tot? Is it like a donut hole? And I was like, I just resigned myself to it being a meatball. So she's running around screaming, because clearly you wouldn't die from your head being shoved into a uh, boiling vat of oil. Yeah. And then he smacks her head, and it flies off. He smacks her head with a broom. With a broom. That's right. What? 
Like not even a machete. He hits her with a broom. So her. So you're you're telling me right now that there's still enough brain and sinew and bone in there so that her skull cavity has preserved the brain so she can run around aimlessly in this diner. But then it's so easily detached that a broom can do the job. I love it. Yeah, it made no sense. It but doesn't. it definitely worked. It definitely worked. And then I think her friend sees the the beehive head on the ground and starts freaking out, right? And then she also she looks – no, because the head rolls in the back. She looks out. You got poopy Balky boy is disemboweling her. Oh, that's right, with the innards yeah. and everything. So okay. she turns to run. She ends up dropping her purse. More tampons fall out. And I'm oh, like – that's so good, right? Okay, so this is really funny. <laughs> the girl drops her purse and clearly that's so important that she has to turn around and start picking up everything from the purse right she's like oh my god i just saw my friend getting murdered uh but i dropped all my shit on the ground hold on hold please guys let me get this really quick <laughs> so she comes back Blundertaker's there and he slices her in half how does he slice her in half brian oh he takes a machete or not even a machete a cleaver i should say mm-hmm. it's probably a cleaver and he just goes from Head to literally crotch yeah. and just splits her in he one fell one in one fell swipe. Yeah, it's crazy, and she falls, you know, asunder side to side, and then it cuts to them in the alley behind, and there's the greatest graffiti ever. Trespassers will be eaten <laughs> as they're loading up body parts into the van to dispose of the bodies, and then they throw the corpse into the dumpster and it has the necklace, and so that's how the police start to find shit. Right, right. So when they find it, they take the necklace to this archaeologist who starts explaining Lumerians, Shitar, orgies, and the blood buffet. And her staff is like, ooh, it's so exciting. I'm like, yeah, it's because you've been playing with dirt with a brush. If I even (laughs) mention the word vagina next to you, you're going to (laughs) go, moving on. Don't they go back to the restaurant and they start like, basically everybody loves the restaurant. It's like a hit place to be. Everybody's like, wow, this food is so amazing. Is this where the IRS guy comes? And he's like, oh, I need you to check on the books. He's like, follow me. And it's literally two seconds later, he comes out and he's got, I don't know, I want to call them fingerling potatoes. (laughs) I think it was fish fingers or something like that. Is that that. fish fingers? But so you're going way too fast. Oh, sorry. (laughs) As a guy who's been vegan for, fuck. 14 years. Humble brag. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know if it's... It's going to be 15. I know that. It's... Okay. Every fucking vegan restaurant sells stuff that's not food. They have to sell like little knickknacks to desperately stay in business because nobody likes vegan food. And they're selling like aloe vera. And when I saw that, I was like, that's the most accurate part of this whole movie. (laughs) Um, But they start feeding Uncle Anwar some of the stew. And they just pour stew into his jar. And I, I literally, I want to show you the way my brain has worked. Because I start buying into the rules of the movie. And I was like, how can he taste with no tongue? And then I was like, how the fuck has he been speaking this whole movie without a fucking mouth? <laughs> yeah, that totally makes sense. <laughs> uh, so then he tells them that they need the lungs and liver from two sluts. <laughs> That's right. And then Michael hypnotizes Connie again so that she'll go to the wrestling combat thing later. We then find in the restaurant, you have Jeff Dunham and his dummy that are incognito to try and get their food so you can find the secret recipe like they're fucking planked in from SpongeBob SquarePants (laughs) and they abruptly leave. What is happening in this movie? Yeah, I don't know. Going back to the whole restaurant thing, I just... 
wrote down a thought that occurred to me and I, I feel like anytime I go out with you to go eating it doesn't have to be vegetarian vegan what have you it could be anything which usually is anything but sorry no it's good um, I mean that's a great part about living in California right dude when I went vegan like over a decade ago people were like it was hard dude they didn't even know what the fuck I was talking right, about right right I, I feel like them showing everybody eat all the really nasty like human part body parts and stuff <laughs> and thought came to my mind like does jake think about this stuff all the time like you guys are eating the most disgusting thing ever like it's like you're eating dead animals like yeah, that's gross for me <laughs> because like animal rights came second to my own health where i was like Ugh, steroids and meat Ugh, antibiotics Ugh. right but it's it's very funny to me when you get something in a movie where people are like oh my god like john wick when the dog dies and people are like oh they killed a dog oh it's so the humanity i'm gonna go out for burgers after this and i'm gonna have a veal schnitzel sandwich it's like you realize that they're both animals though right yeah yeah so whatever. one is very hypothetical well not hypothetical one does not actually happen right this is yeah. a, it's a movie yeah. right <laughs> that dog's probably still alive yeah the thought occurred to me i'm like man showing all these people eating these like disgusting things i'm like ah, i bet jake probably feels that a lot too but he just, just keeps his mouth shut and it's like i'll have a salad <laughs> Can I have a salad with no cheese, please? Oh, and hold the flavor, too. Thanks. <laughs> so just like I, I'm going to heed the warning of Uncle Anwar when he yells, get your tongues out of your asses and get a move on, and we'll move <laughs> to the next part, which is just so good. We cut to the mambo scene. Do you remember the mambo scene, Brian? Do you have any notes on this? No, it's the best scene. No, I don't. Okay, it's not the best scene. There's so many best scenes. I need to shut the fuck up about it. So there's a, a motorcyclist who's broken down on the side of the road while George, the Blundertaker, is listening to mambo music in his van. So he runs him over, and the guy gets back up. So he runs him over, and the guy gets back up. And he runs him over, and the guy gets back up. I think it counted like five times before he finally just drives away. Yeah, definitely. I, I completely forgotten about that, but uh, <laughs> I, it definitely worked. It's it's something that within the confines of this movie, it makes complete sense. It's funny because out of all the things that could potentially kill somebody, this is the most likely to. Yeah. And it doesn't, right? Exactly. So it's like, okay, I'm going to take this girl, I'm going to shove her head in oil, and then I'm going to knock her head off with a broom. That makes sense. I'm going well, to swing once with a cleaver and split a, a gal from ass to gizzard. Right. <laughs> You're supposed to say guts to gizzard, but I like saying ass to gizzard. I like it. But then you have him with this, like, I don't know how heavy a van is, 10,000 pounds. Let's sure. just say that. Coming in, out of- <laughs> in this world, it is the atomic weight of sulfur and death. It is the atomic weight of the planet. That's how heavy this fucking van is because nothing makes sense. And that still doesn't kill the guy. <laughs> it still doesn't kill the guy. It takes multiple times because that makes complete sense so from there we cut to a couple having sex in a cave and she's like i'm worried about psychos eating us and then she's worried about bugs but then he says he's so horny he could fuck a cow and she's just like (laughs) oh well naturally i'll be your cow what a sweet talker. I think, doesn't he say something about eating something or I'll, I'll be the only one eating you or something uh, like that? Probably. <laughs> it's so gross. So Blundertaker shows up with an axe. Then he throws down the axe that he has and slams the guy's head into the wall. And then she uses karate at this point and kicks his ever-loving ass. He goes down. The, the st- Blundertaker. The stalactite does the job for him. Right? Of all the things to happen. 
And it's, it, it would have made even a little bit more sense if when he slams the boyfriend's head into the wall. It knocks it loose. Yeah, you see like a little jingle. But it's just, okay, she's dead now, which is great. So you cut to, I think at this point it's Michael. He says that he promises a girl a big surprise, much bigger than that. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> no, she says, I don't even know. It's so confusing, this movie. So let me oh. see. Apparently, Kinky Girl in Cave knows Kung Fu. Stalactite falls on her head and kills her naturally. Michael has a girl at a restaurant. There we go. The big... And Dick Size reference is made. Perfect. Right. Thank God. <laughs> I'm, I think this movie needs to be watched in tandem so that you don't like slip into madness. That yeah. There's somebody there to reel you Like in. I'm telling you, and this, I'm telling you this in like that I love this movie so much. I would literally watch it again, like now. Yep. I, I I don't need like a, a calm down period. Nope. Like just let me watch it again. For please. sure. Please. I feel like I'm going to gain more off the second time and the third time and the fourth time. Absolutely. So I feel like our little house rule is definitely going to take into effect. Yeah. And so then it cuts to the boyfriend talking to the cops and he says, and I quote, I'm horny and now she's dead. <laughs> Which in Blood Feast... There is a scene where a boy and a girl are on a beach, and he overacts so much to the cops in that scene. It's it's obnoxious. And then this movie totally redeems that. It's so good. Treat it as, what what's 88 plus 62? Whatever the math is. Treat it as one big movie and watch Blood Feast first and then watch this, and it's going to make your life complete. We cut to, the oh yeah, there's the cops that they want to research the uncle's case from 20 years ago, and the chief is like, Nope, don't do that. Do this other thing that has no results. And then Mr. T accidentally shoots his gun. Yeah, I know. I I thought to myself, I'm like, did Mr. T just shoot himself in the head? (laughs) Nope. Just shoots into a crowd of people. It was very close. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It cuts to them cleaning up uh, blood with a vacuum cleaner, which is great. Uh, then they show these weird appetite stimulant hunger pills, which they're, oh, and they and, look like malt balls. Yeah. And you can totally see Balky butt boy is not moving his lips when he's giving the expository information. <laughs> oh no. He's like, these will make everybody hungry and they'll eat the stew and be blood, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I, it's funny. There is that where they were talking to like the, um, the people that are in charge of the, the bar or the restaurant, not the restaurant dance place right yeah okay that they're promoting with and then they give it to them and and so like they're shady as fuck too but whatever (laughs) we go back there's the meeting with the old cop who worked on the case 20 years ago the new cop mentions uncle anwar and the guy's wife is there and she just starts screeching she has sweet hair oh i think i remember specifically that her hair is pretty insane and then anytime they said something about anwar she just scream like maniacally right and then from his perspective you get to see what happens outside when uncle anwar is shot in front of the boys and after his dead body falls down they the shoot him go on. don't they shoot him like multiple times after the fact too or oh yeah yeah okay and he was still on the ground and they keep shooting him and then the sprinklers come on and it's the best <laughs> Uh, that's where you find out that Connie, the girl who's got the necklace from Balky Butt Boy, that she is this old cop's daughter. Woohoo! So great. Then we cut to the main event. See, I got around saying this is the best part of the movie because I referred to pro wrestling. You have the luscious Lumerian, aka the Blundertaker, taking on <laughs> little Jimmy Hitler. Brian, why does he have the name Little Jimmy Hitler? I don't know, but I feel like anybody who's going to go up against Little Jimmy Hitler is going to be my favorite wrestler, yeah. right? And I feel like Little Jimmy Hitler is the ultimate heel. Like there's By default. No, there's no other yep. heel than Little Jimmy Hitler. And in this, I feel like people are cheering on Little Jimmy Hitler, which says something about their culture. <laughs> and later on, there's a band where they're all Hitler, 
and people are there to see that band. Yeah, this it was is... so strange. Oh, so strange. But uh, yeah, so what's his name? Lumerian. Uh... The Blundertaker. The Blundertaker, that's right. So he's clearly getting his ass beat. Like, not even a chance at all. He gets, I think, I feel like multiple leg drops, a couple elbow drops. A uh, back body drop. <laughs> a back um, body drop. A body slam. <laughs> and so you have little Jimmy Hitler does the false pin. Which you gotta love. Classic heel move. Where one, two, and then you pull the guy up. Loved it. Yeah. So then you have Balky Butt Boy uses a slingshot. And shoots Jimmy Hitler with an appetite stimulant that hits him in the back and distracts him. <laughs> then you have Blundertaker biting Jimmy Hitler's calf. Like a calf, right? And then he spits the... <laughs> onto Connie. Onto Connie. That's so great. That's the worst date ever. <laughs> oh, you want me to watch your brother have a wrestling match with a Nazi? Oh, and then he's going to spit a Nazi's blood onto me. I want to go home. I feel like that might be a gore show. Dude. <laughs> And so the fans start chanting Sheetar, but do they know who Sheetar is? No. Did they have like a lecture before this? No Definitely idea. not. Connie says to Balky Butt Boy, hey, I want to go home. And he's like, well, I got nothing else to do. Punches he, her in the face. He like knocks her out. And yeah. it's funny because I feel like throughout the entire movie, there's times where people should see things. Yeah. Like the fact that Uncle Anwar is in a jar and it's a brain with eyeballs and he's just staring at people creepily in the in the restaurant. And everybody's like, no, this is fine. Well, like, there is a uh, a one or two way mirror. There. Oh, is that what it? Okay, exactly. okay. I didn't I didn't get that reference. There's a part where Blundertaker like looks back through. He's like, ugh, ugh. oh, okay, got it. Yeah. So that makes total sense then. But yeah, so he's just like walking. He, she's like, I want to go home. He's like, oh, well, blah, blah, I don't want you to go home. Pat. And then he like knocks her out, right? And then doesn't he say something stupid like, oh, girls, they don't really know how to hang or something like that? I, I feel like remember. he says something really dumb. I just remember it was a throwback to kind of like the old. Westerns, A, the sound effect, and B, how terribly he pulled his punch that just reminded me of like spaghetti <laughs> westerns. I was like, Keck! So then it cuts to one and done, the detective, and she's in her car using a car phone, which is probably the most expensive prop in this movie, if we're being honest. <laughs> the brothers pull up beside them. She flips off the Blundertaker for looking at her. He moons her. She throws a burger at his ass, and they pull away, and she notices the name. The Tutman, whatever, is Nam Tut backwards. And then she's finally figured out the case. Right. Yeah. That whole sequence right there was really weird, right? I don't know. I, I feel like people can't get away with mooning anybody anymore. Nope. That's not a thing. She's a cop, too. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, they didn't know that, right? I don't feel like they knew that right off the bat. It's yeah. just some, some random girl. But that, that's the perfect point, is that she can just go, boo, sirens on. <laughs> hey, what did you think you were doing? Oh, you mooned me? Indecent exposure. Here you go. Oh, wait, your fingerprints are on all these dead people stuff? Right, um, right. And it's funny because I look back at these movies like Porky's. I don't know oh, if you watch dude. Porky's. The kind of shit they got Does away not with. Age well. Some some of the shit they got away with back then. You're like, wow, dude, no way in hell, nope. not anymore. <laughs> not me too. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but also, I mean, that's one of the things about like. So even my favorite movie of all time is Monster Squad, and you have to kind of go, okay, it's just capricious youth. When Rudy takes the picture of Patrick's sister. Uh, or not well he doesn't take the picture he's peeping and then it's Frankenstein who takes the picture sorry I have to correct myself because that to be perfect because it's my favorite movie ever <laughs> but you know he's clearly spying and it's clearly pervy and you're like it's so cringy and so you're like I can't like this, but it's my favorite movie. How do I rectify this? It's hard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it could have definitely ended just like that, right? Okay, you're going to moon me. Okay, boop. Like you yeah. said, yep, 
game over. Yeah. But I guess you get away with mooning people these days. Yeah. No, not these days. Those days. Then, yeah. Those days. <laughs> so then they're doing the ceremony and they realize that the uncle is missing or that the uncle is missing. Someone stole him. They realize that it's, we'll just call him Plankton instead of Jeff Dunham. <laughs> they go over and as they're leaving, the cops bust in. They hold the Blundertaker at gunpoint and then Balky Butt Boy smashes her from behind and they hang her from a hook in the back. And then Blundertaker punches her while she's unconscious. And I was like, that's the most just that's the most unsettling part of this movie since the SNM and domestic yeah, violence scene. Absolutely. There are these weird instances where I'm like, I like hyperviolence and weirdness, but that was just like, it's not necessary, man. Agreed. But I think that also at this point they're trying to like remind you, we're not rooting for these guys. Like they are the bad guys of the movie. So we go, Michael stabs Sedan in the back. He then threatens to smash the uncle. Then they cut off his arm. He gets into a car. Then they cut off his other arm. And that's that's the best thing ever because he's like screaming he's going to get them as he's spraying blood on the interior of the right, windshield. because he has no hands and he's just using his forearms to steer the car. And he crashes into an embankment. It's not even like a hill or a wall. And clearly there's no damage to the car and he dies. So great. We have stop and frisk, Mr. T, whatever you want to call him. He comes. He cuts down one and done. Then the boys put the uncle's brain into Sheetar in the car. While Connie's like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be here. This is bad. <laughs> and I was like, did they ever say that the uncle was going to become Sheetar? Like, that's yeah. weird. But... Yeah, that, that part was really strange. So then it cuts to them feeding the appetite stimulants to the crowd of people. Nobody asks what it is, but it's the 80s, so let's just do whatever substances people give us, right? That's fun. One dude eats it, turns green. Another guy joins, but not all of the people eating the stew become green and zombies. Right, right. Very weird. Uh, we have the background dancers, the horn players, the guitarist, all Hitler. All Hitler. Every single one of them, Hitler. <laughs> then the great quote, Sheeta, awake and take your vengeance now. Oh, wait. I misread my notes. We have to go back. Uh-oh. The bouncer who let them in after killing someone is more <laughs> concerned about getting his cover charge. He's like, if you don't got a warrant, you can't get in. <laughs> Meanwhile, he didn't charge them a cover when they killed his coworker. Uh, so apparently he didn't like his coworker. Yeah. The cop then pulls out her gun and shoves it in his mouth and then goes in. <laughs> and then we have Sheetar awake and take your vengeance now. Do you want to take it over from here? Because I have a lot of point-by-point point notes as to uh, what happened. It's you, bizarre. You can take over, man, because I feel like at that at this point of the movie, I was so overwhelmed with everything <laughs> going on that I couldn't even be bothered to stop it and yeah. take notes. I just had to absorb everything. And, uh, yeah, just take it from here. Yeah, I, it, I'm very upset that my wife was asleep on the couch next to me. To, to her credit, she'd also fallen asleep before the movie. But I really was tempted to be like, wife, will you put my wallet in my mouth just in case this seizure gets the best of me? Because I'm very overloaded. So Jackson shoots Sheetar, vagina dentata. There are zombies. The vagina dentata shoots out her teeth. She has green puke and titties. T-I-D-D-I-E-S, titties. Shepard saves Jackson and says, quote, I couldn't find a parking place. Awesome. (laughs) Then you find out that Sheetar, a.k.a. Vagina Dentata, has a toothy vagina for a stomach. It's amazing. Then a guy says that his ears are going to explode because it's so loud. Sheetar, Vagina Dentata, shoots a bolt of lightning across the room. In one ear, out the other. But, and she's like screaming, right, while this is happening, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a weird kind of scream. Yeah. yeah it's okay. Mr. Barlow's girlfriend. <laughs> and, 
Uh, so she shoots it, <laughs> blows up. Oh, and then she shoots the singer in the head, and his head blows up. He has the same hair that I feel like Balky Butt Boy had earlier. Stop me if this is making no sense. <laughs> no, none of it made sense, but it works. Go on. So then you have Mr. T shoots uh, Balky Butt Boy through the back of the head. His eye pops out. So then he takes Connie. They leave Sheetar on the stage. They Why did they not try and kill her or anything? Blundertaker then uses a meat hook and drags the cop onto the stage. Jackson then kicks the Blundertaker, and then his head enters Sheetar's mouth. <laughs> she eats it. Then she just blows up. What? They never established the rules. Why is she blowing up? Is it because there's no virgin? We've never concretely established that George isn't a virgin, that the Blundertaker isn't a virgin. <laughs> I imagine if you're that enamored with pro wrestling, speaking from a guy who used to be enamored with pro wrestling, you can't be enamored with pro wrestling and get your dick wet. I feel like he's a virgin. <laughs> so then she blows up. The police chief walks through all the carnage and just shoots a zombie in the head as it's getting up because he's like, fuck you. I don't give a shit about your due process rights. You're a fucking dead, dead person. Uh, oh, man. Then we have the one and done finally throws Mr. T a bone. And she's like, yeah, we can go on a date. But what she's really saying, I'm going to fuck you wild style. <laughs> we cut to a lady in red, high heels. She's walking away. She gets catcalled by the this dude, this disgusting catcalling that is so bad. I know it's supposed to be in like this weird hyperviolence surreal thing, but it makes me cringe. And then he opens the door and he says, hey, baby, right before I put my big sausage in you, what do they call you? <laughs> and she says, she she's alive, and they drive off together. Which makes no sense. No. Nope. Because she exploded. Exactly. <laughs> and she, he doesn't kick her out of the car. She has these evil teeth, and he's just down with it. So right. I was like, props to that dude. <laughs> like, that dude, you know what? They're, you're like, this is the thing. I, I very often think of it this way. Like, if somebody's going to break into my car and steal my stuff, they need it more than me. Right. Like, I look at this dude and I'm like, you're willing to make that kind of compromise. You need this <laughs> vagina more than anybody in the world. Yeah, whatever's clever, man. At this point, he's like, you got a mouth? All right, sweet. <laughs> yeah. It's filled with razor sharp pointy teeth? Yeah, all right. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I can sum up my impressions of the movie in one sentence. Go ahead. I think I speak for all of America when I say we're ready for a sequel. Oh, absolutely. If not just a remake. I mean, it's it was in 87, so I mean, and I also feel like there's just all kinds of remakes happening. I, I feel like we talked about before. But uh, I, I don't know, with the right kind of uh, directing. But it, the thing is, it has to be just as zany. Yeah. Just as crazy. I don't know that you could even, you could recreate it. I feel like you'd have to do something like a sequel because... If you tried to do a shot-for-shot shot remake, it wouldn't make sense because it wouldn't be as good. But also, if you made a shot-for-shot shot remake, it inherently doesn't make sense. So you get the worst of both. It's already lacking and then it doesn't make more sense because either you're going to have to make it way zanier or way more <laughs> logical. And so in this, just make a sequel. Like this is an unofficial sequel to Blood Feast. I wish somebody would just do the same thing and do Blood Buffet. We can do Blood Buffet. Brian, let's yes, start a Kickstarter absolutely. campaign and make Blood Buffet. So can the main character be vitamin C? It has to be. <laughs> Naturally, <laughs> he comes out of retirement triumphantly, and uh, he's probably he was pretty obese at the time of making this. He's probably dead. Damn it! So hypertension. <laughs> the sleigh of the game. Did you have another one, or was mine the good one? Which one was yours? Okay, I, I was hoping you'd remember because I already forgot. Go for it. There's so many things that happen. Somebody dies. I mean, honestly, I really like the. Uh, I, I want to call him Crypt Keeper, but it's not Crypt Keeper. The guard at the cemetery getting his head, his eyeballs knocked out. Oh, the bullseye. 
Bullseye. I really like that a lot. So that's going to be mine. Was it the the bouncer? <laughs> the bouncer is pretty damn good. I mean, it's stupid, but it's really funny because clearly there's a, there's some gangster guy and a fucking lowrider for some reason that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And he just gets his head bounced on. Yeah. And, and now I'm looking at this. I'm like, I'm looking back through my notes. Was it that? Was it the mambo in the car? I, I, I <laughs> the can't mambo keep up. The car is so good as well. You know what? It's really hard. I want to say every like killing in this movie could be the uh, slay of the game almost. Other than I feel like Georgie getting his uh, head chomped by uh, vagina dentata. Vagina dentata. Because I feel like that, I don't know, it could have been a little better. Yeah, I think that that was, I mean, it was okay. If they would have made a gnarly effect with it, it would have been fine. But at that point in the movie, I mean, they probably had two cents to rub together. So I'm okay with it. When uh, when all the... Oh, it's obviously Jeff Dunham with the blood in the windshield. Oh, oh God. I'm okay. so overwhelmed by this movie. <laughs> you know, I finally get it. You know when people, when Christian people are like, oh, God is an awesome God. In the... <laughs> and they're like, he's just so much good God. I just can't take it. So... I feel like we know somebody like that. <laughs> I feel like that. That's this movie. Like, there's so much goodness. I can't take it into my my frail human form and appreciate it. Yeah, like I said, man, I feel like every killing in this film was great. Other than I feel like maybe the IRS guy who yeah. just walks into a room and then you just assume he's dead. Yeah, yeah it sounds just... like the premise for a terrible joke. An IRS <laughs> agent walks into the back of a vegetarian restaurant and gets his fucking fingers cut off and dies. <laughs> and suddenly fish fingers are back on the menu. But it's funny because everybody cheers, right? Because yeah. it's an IRS guy. So Boo, it may... <laughs> Suck. <laughs> it totally makes sense. Meanwhile, like the the one tax guy that's watching this film is like, "Fuck that! Fuck you guys! <laughs> Don't perpetuate hate against the IRS." Uh, so we had a fan submission, uh, David N O R A J R on Instagram. Uh, he provided this question. Do you feel it stands by itself, or do you feel that it is the same thing redone in the 80s? It definitely has some moments that are hilarious. The guy driving and spraying blood with his hands. But it becomes too much, the weird puppet guy at the diner, that it isn't rewatchable. If they had dialed down some of the humor, it would have been a fun 80s cult favorite of mine. However, it's a shame that we don't get more movies like this anymore. I think you're half right, you're half wrong. You know, it's you're almost having to throw out the baby with the bathwater. If you don't take this glorious thing as a whole, it's almost like Christianity where you're like, yeah, New Testament Jesus is fucking dope. He loves everybody. You're, we get along. You're basically talking about like cherry picking certain exactly. parts. Okay. You just got to take it, man. You got to take weird Jeff Dunham ventriloquist guy or you don't get weird Jimmy Hitler Jr. or whatever. Yeah, little ab- Jim Hitler. Absolutely. And um, I feel like it definitely does hold on its own. But I also feel like, as we said earlier, it's something that they can kind of adapt and make another movie kind of somewhat similar sure. to it. I feel like it has enough of a cult following where it would definitely, uh, definitely could happen. Yeah. Or you could do every other movie being serious or fake, serious or fake. It's awesome. Yeah, agreed. Uh, where you you know the first one is a very serious tone, and then you go to absurd, and then you go back to serious, and you go back to absurd. I think that would work pretty well. In total, uh, is this a, a, a must watch movie for you? Oh, this is definitely a must watch, and uh, I feel like uh, it's definitely going to be a role in my house. I feel like along with your house as well. Where if there's anybody that has not seen this film, we're just gonna somehow throw it into the dialogue and yep. be like, they're like, oh, hmm, I'm kind of hungry. And I'm like, do you want to watch Blood Diner? Because <laughs> you're hungry there's there's food in the blood diner it has nothing to do with actual food it's actually really disgusting cannibalistic food but you should totally watch it you ready to watch it let's yeah. watch it somebody wants to debate apartheid and you're like that reminds me of the scene in uh, blood diner where the guy says she's dead but i'm horny 
<laughs> yeah, I love this movie. You need to watch this movie. If you haven't watched this movie, I was actually reached by a fan who was very gracious to us because we've done a lot of the big name films already. And my point was, well, I'm kind of wary of going into the cult classics because I don't want to have to give people work to do. Right, I want to right. make sure I'm making content that people like. And he's like, I listen to pod- I listen to your podcast, even if I haven't seen the movie because I like the banter. This is one I'm telling you, I'll bet the fucking house on it. Not my house, someone else's <laughs> house, that you'll love this movie. And the thing is, if you have gotten to the end of this episode and you haven't seen this movie, there is no way you could believe that all of this isn't a movie. You have to think that you're getting pranked. But it's all there and it's all great. And there's a bunch of stuff we couldn't even touch on. Right. It's so deep. I was just going to say that. There's so many things that we missed. Uh, just little tidbits here and there that. Uh, like when they're in the police station and there's two guys in the background that are arguing, but they're not speaking. Right. It's right. so great. Again, um, I mean, doing homework on this as far as watching the film and taking notes was super hard for me because I felt like every, literally every 30 seconds to a minute, I had to pause the movie and take note of all of the things happening. So unless I wanted to watch a, an hour and 20 minute film in like four hours, uh, I just had to kind of just let it run and go off of whatever I can retain. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So... I think this is as good a time of any to wrap up the show. Uh, if you have any kind of questions, comments, trivia, anything, recommendations for future episodes, feel free to reach out to us. Slasherspod at gmail.com. Instagram is slasherspod. We have a Facebook that I hate and I'm never going to use because Instagram and Facebook aren't syncing and I hate it. We have a Twitter. You can you know send smoke signals however you want to do it. Contact us. There's one thing I want to throw out there, though. I feel like we're, at, we're uh, skipping over. I feel like this is a classic. Oh, Dude, yes. It's a classic. It's it's like a classic to the nth degree. Or classic. Or it's slashic. A, you're just being a, a good bad. Yeah, it's a good bad. Yeah. So it's not a classic. It's a slashic. It's classic, trashic, tragic. I'll get this sooner or later, guys. Okay. I swear. <laughs> so who was our trashic before? Because this clearly wins. It, it, it definitely wins. And I don't know if anything's even going to be able to topple it. It wouldn't be like Event Horizon, right? No. It definitely wouldn't be a Event No. Horizon. I think that one. No, I don't think that was. I'm going to look through our episodes. Chud. It's oh, Chud. Yeah. This beats the this, shit out this of Chud. Beats no, shit Chud out. was tragic. It was bad, bad. Remember, that was the one we even got some pushback. People were like, oh, come on. I think it was the faculty was the That's one. That's right. Yeah. Okay. This destroys the faculty. Dude. All right. Sorry, uh, fucking Hartnet. Yeah. <laughs> and Frodo Baggins. Yeah. Okay. You can take your scat and shove it. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right up your poop shoot. Uh, no, you're exactly right. Thank you very much for pointing that out. This is, I think, I anticipate will be a long-standing, uh, what is this? This would be the Scolder Cup champion. Because yes. For those of you who are keeping track, a good, good movie is a classic, which is currently an American Werewolf in London, which is the Stabley Cup. A good, bad movie is a Trashic, uh, which is now Blood Diner. And there's a bad, bad movie, oh, which, sorry, and the Trashic is the Scolder Cup. And then the bad, bad movie is the Killy Cup, and that is currently Chud, uh, which, I, th- you know, it's – I'm not saying Chud's the worst movie. It's just the worst of the ones that we've watched. Right, and it's funny because I feel like you can add comedic humor to Chud, and it could be somewhat relevant – or not relevant, but relative to Blood Diner. If, if everybody had the charisma of Daniel Stern in that movie, it's fucking great. Yes. But the fact that like John Hurd is so bland. And, you know, there are missed cues. But that, I still love the soundtrack. I know you hate it. But we're getting into the <laughs> So <weeds>. much synth. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's fun. I, I, I want to have an asymmetrical haircut and dance <laughs> to that music while wearing all black. All right. So, uh, yeah. 
I think, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely going to be the champion, I feel like, for a long time. Oh, yeah. So, so uh, I want to say thank you. I haven't said it in a while to uh, our friend Ben Carter, who calls himself Tucked In, for doing the house music. I want to thank all of our friends and followers on Instagram. It's truly touching to me to see how many people are enjoying our content, our stupid memes. Uh, it's awesome to see that people, like-minded people exist, and we're not an extinct breed of weirdo. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm super happy that everybody is accepting of us into this culture. Because, Seriously. Uh, and that's uh, something that I feel like a lot of different genres, there's a lot of people that are kind of sticklers. Yeah, and um, They look down your, their nose at you like it's a status thing. Right, exactly. Yeah. And that's another thing we were talking, or Jake was talking about earlier, when it comes to doing kind of cult classics, you feel like you shouldn't step on people's toes or opinions yeah. on certain things because it's such a cult classic but there are multiple opinions and multiple viewpoints on movies and uh we just happen to love this one absolutely and if you if you do take a polar opposite view you can always reach out to us we're really good about corresponding and we'll engage in a meaningful dialogue with you and we hope that you'll do the same with us so brian i think it's time to say goodbye to the mutant goons from beyond that's right that's right guys uh and i'll just leave it with uh what i usually say um if you're not watching them dying you ain't really trying and i am jake for Brian, and we are going to remind you to go out there this week and do something you love, and remember that all work and no power play makes Jack a dull boy.